Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. Welcome to Live Life Better from Virgin Books in association with Penguin Living. I'm Dominic Frisby and in this special episode for Mental Health Awareness Week, we're going to be talking about how to keep our minds healthy and happy. Living a 21st century life can take its toll. One in six adults in the UK have experienced a mental health problem in the last week alone. And that mental health issue might be stress, it might be anxiety, it might be depression. And such issues are not unusual, and you are not alone if you feel like the pressures of life are getting on top of you. Today, I'm joined by two guests to talk about mental health and how to look after it. Ollie Aplin is a designer who kick-started the Mind Journal movement, which encourages men to log their thoughts, feelings, worries and fears. Ollie, hello. Hello. And on my right, we have Chloe Brotheridge, a clinical hypnotherapist and nutritionist. And her book offers practical advice on how to deal with anxiety. Chloe, hello. Hello. Now, your book, Ollie, is particularly aimed at men. Mm -hmm. And, Chloe, yours is aimed at women. Um, So I suppose let's just throw this question out before we, we delve into the depths of both books. Are, are there differences, in fact, between male and female mental health issues? Or Ollie, why don't you kick off? Um, I wouldn't say there is. I think it's probably just more to do with how uh, the different sides kind of deal with their mental health. So I think there's kind of like a stereotypical kind of image that there is around kind of guys that is we don't really talk about the stuff that's going on inside ourselves, the, the problems we're having or the issues we're facing. And that's something that I've felt personally over the years um, growing up. So I think there's that, that's kind of common in society in general amongst amongst other men. Do you have a view, do you, Chloe? Yeah, so I think there are differences in the way that men and women experience it. And women are thought to have levels of anxiety that are twice that of men, and that's not to take away from the men that are experiencing that. But it seems to be things like the way that we're brought up as women, our brains are also more reactive to stress, 
we have hormones that go up and down. So there's different reasons that sometimes women might have more kind of things like anxiety than men. And is it kind of healthy to, to kind of separate the two genders when we when we think about mental health? Or I think it's good if you can tailor the approach to the individual. And certainly what I was trying to do is write something that, that women could really relate to and a lot of the specific things that women will worry about, such as body anxiety, which 90% of women kind of have some kind of shame or anxiety about their bodies. And that's not to say that men don't as well, but I wanted to just write something that could really speak to, to the Let ladies. me tell you, I have a lot of shame about my body. <laughs> <laughs> um, now, mental health, it's a kind of almost become a kind of hot topic. Does that mean we're getting better at dealing with it or have we still got a long way to go? I think we've still got a, a way to go. I don't think we're necessarily kind of solving every aspect of it at the moment, but I think one thing that's amazing is that we're having now all these these conversations around it that we weren't having before when you see other people kind of like prince harry and, and other kind of like leading figures kind of talking about their mental health it's kind of really engaging and really kind of inspirational to kind of see these people kind of talking about stuff that before you would never kind of think that they would ever have any kind of issues like that so i think yeah i think there is a kind of a, a kind of growing amount of people and, and more discussions that are happening around it and i think that's you know that's amazing to kind of have yeah, I totally agree with Ollie there. I think there has been so much stigma in terms of people feeling ashamed and feeling like they can't talk about things and it stops people from getting help. If, you, you know, if, if there's, you're feeling that stigma, you're less likely to reach out to friends or family, you're less likely to you know, go through your employer to get the sort of support that they might offer. So I think the more we can talk about it, the more people are going to get help and it's just a good thing all round. Ollie, let's talk about your book. This book will make you stronger. Um, it's a mind journal. Can you tell us a bit about how it works? So mind journal is a guided journal just for guys. So it's got a kind of specifically designed writing program within it that's got 30 questions that kind of build in intensity. So they start off very kind of simple and quite easy, almost task driven. And then they kind of get tougher and tougher as you kind of work through it, as you kind of get more confident in your writing and more confident in kind of connecting with your emotions and feelings as you kind of work through the journal. And why journaling? Journaling has had a massive impact on my own life. It's been the kind of go-to tool where I've been able to kind of put all the stuff that I'm thinking or feeling or struggling with because I haven't felt comfortable with sharing it with other people, either close to me or a therapist or, or someone else. And it's still kind of exercising it out myself and start, instead of keeping it bottled up and it kind of manifested in other ways, I can I can kind of write it down in the journal. And there's tons of science out there that kind of say that, you know, journaling is just as effective as talking and also specifically for, for guys that are kind of used to not talking about their stuff or don't feel comfortable talking about this. So, so by journaling, this isn't just, you know, keeping a record in the same way that, I don't know, you keep a record of what calories you've consumed and what your weight is, that, that kind of logging. Yeah, they're, they're kind of but more like diaries. But also actually writing, you know, today I felt like this and... Yeah, 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 yeah. And I think, you know, when I've been asked before to kind of keep a journal, when I've recommended it to friends to keep a journal that were going through some tough stuff, we've all had this kind of um, similar kind of reaction to it, which is... A blank journal is is not providing me anything. There's no kind of guidance. There's no there's no kind of manual to explain how I'm meant to use this thing, and so that's why I kind of went off to create a, a kind of guided journal that kind of helps you actively to to write every time you come to journal. And you mentioned in the book that that men might actually benefit more from journaling than women. Mm -hmm. uh, tell us, talk about that. So that's some key research that was done by a, a professor in America that's called James Penny Baker. And he did some tests and found that journaling actually activates different parts of the brain. 
and that when guys actually journal because they're so used to kind of suppressing their emotions and suppressing how they're feeling that journaling is actually a very powerful tool for guys to kind of use to kind of express that stuff because they're so used to not talking about it and not expressing it in any other way and so that's kind of where the kind of power of journaling kind of lies i have kept a diary ever since i was a little boy well and and i read it now and i think goodness me but uh, i always used to love it i found it very calming and i think that writing about stuff just almost clarifies your thoughts it's a kind of meditative Mm. process Mm. yeah i mean I, i totally agree with you on that i think for me being an anxiety sufferer i think most of the time my head is just filled with noise just you know rapid fire thoughts and feelings and and what if scenarios journaling allows me to kind of again i don't get this from talking because when i talk i kind of ramble off and and confuse my words whereas when i write i have to construct a sentence so i have to kind of calm myself down a bit and i have to use my hand to write the sentence out so there's a bit of a delay there that process just gives me a bit of a pause gives me a bit of the breather to just calm myself down and, and find the words to actually express what that anxiety state is and are men getting better at talking about mental health uh, I think we could get better at it, but I think I think more guys are starting to kind of realise that they need to start talking about stuff. And your project got off the ground with a Kickstarter campaign, which was incredibly successful. You tripled the target. Yeah. D- tell us about that. Yeah, that was amazing. I think it's because it's it spoke to guys in the way that guys kind of want to be spoken to. I think I, I don't come from a kind of academic background. I kind of talk to my audience as if they're just a mate of mine and I think that's what guys kind of reacted so positively to they just thought oh it's just it's he's just like us he's just another guy he's been through similar stuff like me and and therefore they could connect with it and that's I think what kind of drove the campaign was it was just another normal bloke trying to do something for for other normal blokes what are the kind of obstacles that blokes face that kind of stop them journaling it probably is that 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 thinking of it's it's a bit I don't know, feminine or or I don't have the patience for it or it's, I don't have the time. There's always excuses that we kind of, things that are good for us, we always kind of find excuses kind of not to, not to do sometimes. And so what I'm trying to kind of tell guys is, you know, if you're, if you're willing to kind of go to the gym and work out your body, then you need to be also looking at some other way of working out your mind. And if you're not necessarily comfortable with working out your mind in public there are other ways that you can kind of work out your mind privately and and one of the best tools to do that is is therefore journaling and i think one of the you know classic things is don't knock it till you tried it i think always just try and give these things a go it's trying to find the right tool for you and for me journaling has been that right tool and i think for a lot of guys it will be also you know massively powerful so just give it a go and and what's the worst that could happen Let's talk about some of the practicalities. How regularly should you journal? How much should you write? Yeah, I think, you know, um, it's, it's, it's down to you. You know, journaling is, is a personal experience. So it's, it's, there are no rules of journaling. That's the great thing. There's no time limit. You don't have to be sat there for an hour waiting for the kind of the bell to ring or, the, or anything to kind of say, you know, that's it, your, your time's up. You can do it for five minutes. You can write one word. You could write three pages worth. It's however you feel that day when you go to write. The main thing is to remember that it's there for you. If you've got a headache, you take aspirin, you go to the kind of medicine cabinet and you take something out of the cabinet to kind of help with that that kind of pain. Or you see a physio if you pulled your shoulder out at the gym or something. It's no different with the journal. For me personally, I keep it in my sock drawer. And if I know that I'm having a bad day or I've got something coming up that's stressing me out or making me feel anxious, then I, I go there to kind of access this thing that can help me kind of calm down and and find some focus so I think it's you end up finding your own habit and your own way of doing it 
and that's the kind of again the great thing about journaling is that it's it's based around you so you can't get it wrong there's no real right or wrong way of doing it that's why it kind of works for anyone really Chloe, your book gives practical advice on how to deal with anxiety. What is anxiety? It's quite a broad term. It's quite an umbrella term to describe um, a lot of different symptoms. So it might be things like worrying to the point where you feel like you can't stop worrying about something, feeling nervous, you know, not being able to concentrate easily, um, not being able to switch off. And it can affect things like your sleep. You might have Things like a racing heart it can be quite physical. People often notice like shaking or their heart racing. And it's more than just being a bit nervous about going to give a speech or do an exam. It's, it's more than that. It's something that affects people day to day. It holds them back and from living the lives they want to live and doing what they want to do and being happy. How would someone know if they were suffering from anxiety? Well, they should always go and speak to their doctor and get it properly diagnosed and the doctor will go through a, a sort of a questionnaire with them to look at the different criteria to diagnose it. So that's really important. You are a clinical hypnotherapist. What, what does that mean? What, what, what does that involve? It means I hypnotise people oh. for my job and they lie down on a couch and I talk to them and help them to make changes subconsciously. It's very... It's not what you see on the TV. I can see you no, no. looking at me wondering if I'm hypnotising you right no, now. No, I'm not. I'm, I'm, <laughs> I've always wanted to be hypnotised. And what kind of things can it help with and, and to what extent is it helpful? So firstly, having hypnotherapy is really relaxing. And often people will come and see me saying, I don't relax. I can't remember the last time I felt relaxed. I don't even relax on holiday. I never switch off. And they can come and have, for example, a hypnotherapy session and learn that actually it is possible to quieten your mind down and get your body to relax more so yeah and I suppose sometimes it's about helping people to I don't know change beliefs so we all take on board ideas throughout our lives you know beliefs about ourselves and people maybe have gone through a stressful experience in their past and they want to kind of let go of that hypnotherapy can be really helpful for helping people to sort of change beliefs. I find I often get, I suppose the word is trapped in certain mental patterns. Like when a certain situation arises, you know, I react in it in a certain way. And if I could change the way I react to certain situations, in other words, change my mental patterns, which have probably been formed out of habit and, you know, the repetition of certain situations as you go through life. Can you do that? Can you change your your mental patterns through hypnotherapy? Yeah, you can. But another thing that came up for me then was sort of about mindfulness. And I think that's something that's talked about more and more these days in the media and things. And mindfulness is being in the present moment. And if you find yourself reacting or, you know, having the same kind of negative thoughts again and again, if you're more mindful, you're kind of aware before that starts to happen and you feel like you can notice, oh, I'm starting to have this anxious thought that, you know, I'll make a fool of myself at that party or whatever it is and actually think, no, actually, I'm just going to stay in this moment. I'm going to take some deep breaths. So I think mindfulness is really helpful for the sort of thing that you're talking about. Mm. Yeah, now, I agree with that. Sorry, I was just agreeing. <laughs> yeah, excuse me. We were both like <laughs> yeah, just yeah, nodding yeah. away. Yeah. Um, <laughs> So tell us, now your book draws on the latest scientific research in the field of anxiety. So what, what's science currently telling us about anxiety? So there's a lot about how kind of modern life seems to be making things worse. The fact that we're always plugged into some kind of device. Um, there's a lot of pressure. We don't really 
value rest and relaxation as much as we do kind of busyness and achieving things and taking things off our to-do lists. So it kind of looks at that and how to kind of counteract that and how to do things, mental mental kind of activities, things like meditation and also physical things you can do, different types of exercise and making adjustments to your diet that can help to kind of calm your nervous system down and just help you to feel the best that you can feel. So we are at that time of year when young women and men across the country are doing their exams. And exam stress can cause anxiety. And this isn't just a problem for the young people themselves, but also for their parents. Clinical psychologist and author Genevieve von Lobb tells us more. Teenagers can feel under enormous amounts of pressure at this time of year. I'd say, you know, during exam time, some stress is inevitable and it's normal. And some stress is actually really good for us because it helps us to stay focused and motivated and helps us to concentrate. So it's not like there's going to be no stress at all at exam time. And, you know, that does motivate some people. Some people just need those goals, don't they? And this could be a good discipline to learn so it's not saying that you don't need any stress I think if you didn't have any stress you'd be kind of lying horizontally but I guess the sort of young people that I work with and the parents that come to me where it's gone a bit wrong is or where it's got difficult is when it's turned into sort of developed into more of a chronic anxiety where the stress is really impacting on their daily life so they're distressed and they're not able to do the things Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to bluehost.com wondersuite. That they would usually be doing. So it's that fine balance between what's normal amounts of stress and then what becomes sort of a mental health issue or clinical anxiety. You know, if your child starts to seem overly nervous or fearful and you're noticing that it's having a drastic effect on the day-to-day functioning, then it may be that they've got what I would call a clinical level of anxiety. So I think if you are worried about your child, 
the main thing is to keep an eye out for drastic changes in behaviours or appearance. So, for example, some young people might start complaining of physical complaints like headaches or stomach aches. They might seem withdrawn or more uncommunicative. Uh, they might seem to have more difficulties focusing. You know, so I, or there might be changes in appetite, so they might be eating a lot more or eating less. So I think it's just observing really changes in your child. If you have got a child who's suffering from genuine clinical anxiety, there is a lot you can do. There's a lot of help out there professionally, but there's also a lot you can do as a parent. Um, and, and certainly in my book, Five Deep Breaths, I go through a lot of very simple, effective ideas based on mindfulness, which helps parents be in a better position to be able to support their children. So as a parent, you know, thinking about keeping calm yourself, you know, taking five deep breaths, staying relaxed. And because, you know, exam time is stressful for parents too. And anxiety is contagious. But I think one of the most important things you can do as a parent is stay calm. From listening to parents, you know, so many people right now, parents right now are struggling with the challenges of modern parenting. And they're feeling overwhelmed about whether they're doing the right thing or they're questioning whether they're doing a good enough job as a parent. And I think it's just really tough being a parent today. It feels very competitive out there. It's it's very fast paced world. It's stressful. There's just so many decisions to make on behalf of your children. It feels like there's a lot of judgment in parenting as well. So one of the reasons I really wrote Thigh Deep Breaths was to empower parents, to help them, to reassure them and, and help them to learn to trust themselves and to have more confidence. But I guess what mindfulness, how mindfulness comes into this is the ability that we all have, which is to learn to step back from our thoughts and feelings, our very busy minds. And I think for parents who are particularly time poor, often very tired, got a lot to do they've got a lot of responsibility looking after everyone else it can be very hard to find any time to stand back but even a simple thing like just remembering to take a pause during the day it sounds so simple and you wouldn't think it would work but it's actually a way of calming down the whole nervous system because we can't think straight when we're stressed so actually taking deep breaths actually has a physiological effect and helps us to just be aware of what is going on in our minds and, you know, in our bodies at any time. And another thing that mindfulness is about is learning to respond rather than react. So this takes practice and, you know, and no one's perfect. And mindfulness is not some other way of striving to be a perfect parent. It's the complete opposite. It's about, actually, I mean, a core part of mindfulness is kindness. I mean, a lot of mindfulness teachers call it heartfulness because actually it's about how do we learn to be kind, number one, to ourselves, most important thing for parents, because they show so much kindness to everyone else. They're looking after their children, looking after families. You know, maybe they're doing jobs as well. But actually to learn to be kind to yourself and to learn to cultivate that compassion is also something really amazing to role model to our children. You're listening to the Live Life Better podcast from Virgin Books in association with Penguin Living. So I'm back in the studio now with Chloe Brotheridge and Ollie Aplin. I mean, there is too much pressure on kids and exams at too young an age. 
I think it is that thing of pressure. I don't personally work with children one-to-one, but yeah, I totally agree. It's about that pressure and I think putting too much importance on achievement. Ollie, now as a young, did you experience a lot of anxiety when you were studying as a young man? Um, no, I didn't experience anxiety uh, with my exams just because I, I had a lot of other anxiety in a whole different area of my life. So I think, you know, when it got to exam, the exam kind of part of my life, um, I just didn't see it as much of a big deal compared to stuff that was going on at home. So my mum had bipolar and she had very kind of extreme manic episodes that would manifest themselves into very kind of dark, depressive states or massively high uh, states. So life was kind of always, for me, anxious because I never really knew what state she was going to be in. So I was always kind of second guessing, thinking, you know, what state is she going to be in when I get home from school? Or if I've been out playing with my mates or, you know, whatever I was doing, there was always this element of, you know, what's mum going to be doing? Incredibly difficult thing to deal with as a young man. Yeah, it was pretty. It was pretty yeah. tough going. Yeah, yeah. I suffer with anxiety still and, and panic attacks that I kind of fight with every day to kind of manage and, and to kind of control. And tell us what you what happens when you have a panic attack. For me, it's this sense of where I've completely I've lost control of kind of any kind of rational thought. So, for example, today coming up to London, I, I struggle with getting on public transport and getting on trains. I have to go through a a series of kind of sort of self-protective routines, if you like, mm-hmm. that make sure that I'm not going to freak out or have a panic attack on a train. But then, Is it worse if they're crowded? Yeah, if they're crowded or if they're fast. Um, I have to get on slow, quiet trains in order to get from A to B. And even then, if then there's like a, a rush at the station because there was a delay on the previous train and everyone piles on, I have to get off and, and then get the next one and the whole trip is just extended by another couple of hours and the whole thing just becomes more stressful, but... Um, and what happens, what goes through your mind when you kind of lose your rationale? It's it's a kind of I can't escape kind of feeling for me. Um, I can't escape the situation that I'm in and I can't escape the thoughts that are racing through my head that aren't really making much sense. There's no real reason for me to be freaking out on the train or having this kind of uh, real intense feeling of, of anxiety and fear and panic. I'm hot, I'm sweaty, I've got a dry mouth, I think I'm going to be sick or I'm going to pass out and... All I keep thinking is I just got to get off this thing, and it just means that time goes a lot slower. So mm-hmm. the the distance between the stops, even though I know that it's only five minutes because I've calculated the journey beforehand, that five minutes feels like five hours. Well, what can I say? Good for you for doing what you're doing and confronting it and helping other people to confront it because it's uh, obviously a very difficult thing that you're doing. And I say it again, good for you. Thank you very much, Chloe. How did you end up becoming a hypnotherapist? So I started as a nutritionist. I was working in the NHS and I'd had my own struggles with anxiety since a teenager, you know, having panic attacks and, you know, not being able to stop worrying about things. What, and kind, of, what kind of things could you not stop worrying about? Oh, everything. I'd find, I'd find anything to worry about. <laughs> um, what kind of stuff? You know, the way I looked and money and... Um, you know, whether I was achieving enough and that kind of pressure to be achieving things. I didn't, you know, have, you know, really tough things going on as a child. I was really lucky, very loving parents. I think for me, it was not really being able to kind of express my feelings very well. So nothing kind of major, but a lot of little things that I think were kind of bubbling below the surface. You mentioned being an older sibling and... You know, the experience of siblings, different siblings within a family can be quite different depending on 
you know, whether they're the oldest, the middle one, the youngest and so on. How much did it affect you? I think there's something about um, sort of having to teach your parents how to be parents as their oldest child. You know, your your parents haven't gone through certain things before, so maybe you have to kind of put up with their kind of getting to know the ropes a little bit more. Maybe you feel more responsibility over your younger siblings um, I know that statistically the older children are more likely to kind of pressurise themselves academically and kind of be slightly more academic ones. So maybe that, that sort of pressure could come in there as well. And but you personally, how did, how did it affect you personally? I don't know, probably having to be the, the kind of the good girl and kind of not rock the boat if, you know, my parents were stressed about something, having to be the kind of good responsible one that was making sure mum and dad were okay while they were kind of dealing with my younger siblings, I would say that was true for me. For lots of people, that sense of kind of instability in childhood will create anxiety because, as Ollie was saying, you're never really sure what's going to be happening. I've been a terrible parent. Um... <laughs> <laughs> well, all parents are doing their best. Now, you both in your books draw on your own personal experiences. Was that painful, difficult, awkward to kind of go public with with personal stuff? I was most kind of nervous about my family reading it and my close friends and my boyfriend, I think, than kind of total strangers because I think sometimes there's things that certain family members wouldn't know wouldn't know everything about and kind of quite personal stories that you maybe don't want your parents to know. Isn't um, that bizarre that you don't mm. you you don't mind telling somebody you've never met in your life, mm. but you don't want to tell the people closest to well, you? Well, yeah, I think I, make, I kind of make sense. I think I have to see my family. And <laughs> <laughs> I don't think you're alone in that. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. So, but I I get loads of like emails and things from people saying how much they can relate to it. So it's really nice to know that people that I've never met are kind of getting a benefit from a, mm. me bearing my soul. Mm. Um, and for me, it's been actually uh, hugely cathartic, you know, coming from my side of things where I was raised to not talk about the stuff that was going on at, on at home with mum. So when she died, I couldn't actually talk to a therapist. So I turned to journaling and then that enabled me to go and talk to my dad and so on and so on and so on. I feel like the final chapter, if you like, of me being able to share this openly with with other people online and in my book is that kind of final sort of stage of my journey, if you like, of being able to express myself and express how I'm feeling. So for me, it's been quite, yeah, personal and quite therapeutic to kind of finally go, oh, okay, yeah, I'm I'm okay with, with all this stuff now and, and I'm okay with talking about it and sharing it with other people. If you could give listeners at home one piece of advice, Chloe, about how to deal with anxiety, what would that piece of advice be? I would say probably listen to your anxiety and instead of trying to push it away or um, making yourself wrong for having it listen to it and treat it as a friend that has something to teach you about what your needs are so if you treat can listen it as to, a friend yeah yeah <laughs> go on so so instead of thinking right well, I, I shouldn't be feeling this way I've got to calm down actually listening and saying what does this anxiety want me to to learn about myself what does it maybe want me to change about my lifestyle what do I need to kind of learn to try and overcome? Is there something from my past that needs to be healed? And just kind of getting curious about that and understanding that emotions are there to teach us something about our needs and we need to listen to them rather than doing like what I used to do, drinking a load of alcohol and trying to suppress it or staying so busy that I didn't have to deal with it. Ollie, what would be your one take-home tip about journaling and, and mental health? Um, well, give it a go for, for a start. 
you know, just grab a piece of paper and just, you know, try and just form a sentence that, that basically asks you, you know, ask yourself, you know, how am I feeling today? And, and, and see if you can just kind of write a sentence and then just sort of see how that makes you feel. And I suppose my, my kind of takeaway kind of tip, if you like, would be just to be more kind to yourself. Something that I've kind of been learning over the last year or so has been to kind of, when I'm having my panic attack episodes, for example, is to not beat myself up that I'm having a panic attack or if I've had to get off the train too early or whatever it is, to then not be angry at myself and beat myself up that I've had to do that thing. I just kind of now just remind myself that that's okay and, you know, I did a good job and I got so far with it, you know, and then there's, there's always another kind of chance to kind of, kind of try and beat it next time. So just be kind to yourself. You mentioned that you kind of grew up feeling anxiety. Now, I imagine there are some people listening to this who are going to think that their anxiety is just a part of them. They are just anxious people and there's nothing they can do about it. What advice would you have for somebody who thinks along those lines? So there is, I mean, there is a genetic aspect to it, but a lot of it is learned, you know, things that you've taken on board through your life. And there is absolutely loads that you can do to help yourself. And it's not about you know, being perfectly calm all the time. You know, it's just about making progress and feeling better. And there are, as Ollie was saying, so many tools that you can use. For me personally, I do meditation and exercise and, you know, talking to people, having therapy. You know, there's loads that you can do in order to to help yourself and feel better. So please don't put up with feeling rubbish. Get some help. Seeing as it's Mental Health Awareness Week, how do you think people at home can kind of help raise awareness of some of the issues we've discussed today? So I think it's about asking people how they are and, you know, really listening for the answer. You know, if you're suffering with something, maybe sharing that with somebody that you feel comfortable to share it with. Ollie? Um, For me, it would probably be a, a case of kind of finding the right tool. For me, kind of maintaining my anxiety and looking after myself is a kind of almost like a daily thing. And that's taken me years to kind of build up. But it's all been a case of just finding these tools. You know, I see a therapist once a week. I journal, I meditate, I go to the gym, I make sure I'm going for a run and I make sure I do at least one of these things once a day to make sure that I'm, you know, looking after myself and I'm being kind to myself. So I think it's a case of, yeah, just being being kind and, and yeah, trying to find the right tool for you. That's all we have time for today. All the book titles we've talked about are out now. Chloe Brotheridge is the author of The Anxiety Solution, A Quieter Mind, A Calmer You. Ollie Aplin's book is called Mind Journal, This Book Will Make You Stronger. And Five Deep Breaths, The Power of Mindful Parenting is by Genevieve von Lobb. And remember, when it comes to mental health, there is not a one-size-fits-all approach. The most important thing, if you're dealing with anxiety or stress, is that you talk to someone. That could be a friend, a family member, or even your GP. The Samaritans also offer free emotional support 24 hours a day in the UK. Just call 116123 or visit samaritans.org to find out more. A huge thank you once again to my guests, Chloe Brotheridge and Ollie Aplin. Live Life Better is a Pixiu production for Virgin Books in association with Penguin Living. I'm Dominic Frisby. Goodbye. <laughs>